Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. And as pumped as I am by what happened on Sunday, there's a there's a buzz in the air. It is a rare Monday with a huge, huge game to look forward to. All the craziness that happened on Sunday in week 11 in the NFL, we will get to it. Just an appetizer for the main course that is Chiefs and Eagles tonight. First, though, obviously, just like you all expected, again, another slate that people talk down on, another round of games that wasn't supposed to be that good. Well, 12 games get played on Sunday in week 11. Seven of them decided by a touchdown or less. Maybe didn't set a record for walk-off field goals like we did last time, but plenty of entertainment to get to in week 11. Was bookended a thrilling early window. Maybe the best noon window or whatever time zone window, the early one of the year, and then a one-point game in prime time to cap it all off. Maybe maybe a little sleepy there in the middle, but still plenty of fun stuff to get to. I'll start at the end in Denver where the Broncos now own the longest win streak in the NFL. Cortland Sutton's second circus catch touchdown in the last week lifts the Broncos to a 21-20 win against the Minnesota Vikings. Remember, Sutton had the insane one in Buffalo on Monday Night Football. Not even a full week later, he gets a game winner in the dying moments against the Vikings. The Broncos improbably sitting at 500. Four straight wins. Longest win streak in the NFL. They're a game out of the wild card spot. Remember remember the jokes? Remember the Halloween decorations in Denver of the Broncos graveyard that was their season? Not quite so much. Josh Dobbs loses for the first time in purple since joining the Vikings. 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 <laughs> I got to tell you, though, sitting here, we record this on Sunday night for Monday morning. If you went to bed early or you watched a Christmas movie, Good for you. You honestly didn't miss much. Just go find the highlight of Cortland Sutton's touchdown, and I think you've seen what you need to see. There's way more fun stuff to get to, and that was, as I alluded to, what happened in the early window. That's where we will start this week, Sunday 6. If you're new to the show, that's the six things we get to every Sunday, the things we think you need to hear about coming out of the Sunday slate. And this week, Nothing more fun happened to lead our Sunday six with than what we saw at Ford Field in Detroit. It's always these sorts of games that sneak up on you. Very normal looking run of the mill division game in the NFC North. Lions favored to beat the Bears pretty easily. Turns into a head turning, hair raising Heart-stopping win, the Detroit Lions rally to beat the Chicago Bears 31-26. It's so much more interesting than what I'm even describing. So I'm, I'll, let's just get to the guys who called it. I'm here now with Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth, who were on the call at Ford Field. And guys, this was poised to be an embarrassing afternoon for the Detroit Lions. Very uncharacteristic performance from them. An uncharacteristic performance from Jared Goff, who threw three interceptions. What exactly did Goff and the Lions do to turn this game around? Yeah, Dave, it's very rare to see three interceptions from Jared Goff, right? It's only the third time in his career. Twice it's happened to come against the Bears, but it doesn't really feel like there should be much concern based on how those particular plays develop and what we saw in the second half, and especially in those last five minutes. Well, I think that's the big thing. I mean, the couple of uh, tip ball and then somebody got ran into in a route, you know, that created a interference kind of situation. So those were two of the three interceptions. But the bottom line to me, being able to overcome that mentally 
to be able to, to go out there and, you know, put two drives together, scoring drives together in the last three minutes of a football game. I mean, it just goes to show you just how good Jared Goff is. Not only good, but how mentally tough he is as well to overcome those interceptions. Yeah, he and Ben Johnson had a great game plan down the stretch. They didn't get away from the running yeah. game. They played the clock about as perfectly as you possibly could. I want to go back to a point that you made, Mark. This is a Lions team that's 8-2, first time since the early 1960s. Sure. They have this record. They're now two ahead in the loss column of Minnesota and the rest of the crew. They've won games in so many different ways. We've seen them play really well defensively, and we've seen them have to have big offensive games, and now they had to come from behind to win a game. This is a team that really has all the elements, it feels like. Yeah, and I love just the commitment to what they do. They have an identity. They never got away from it. Even in the final two drives, they still ran the ball, set up their play action, and then were able to create big plays over the top for a touchdown on one and then just stand with it on a consistent basis. I just thought it was a phenomenal job to overcome that deficit that they had. Yeah, David Montgomery gets the go-ahead touchdown against his former team. Speaking of his former team, Justin Fields did return today. Had him in position pretty good ball game overall considering he missed the last month plus I thought he played incredibly well and that thumb wasn't an issue and I think the big thing is for the Chicago Bears they got their guy back I mean he ran the football he set up things in the play action game they moved him out of the pocket I thought he was exceptional coming back after being injured and you know being on IR with that thumb so uh, pretty incredible game by him uh, disappointing you know outcome but I thought he played exceptionally well well the story of the day though is the Detroit Lions the brand new Lions are in brand new territory Dave they are eight and two for the first time since the early 1960s how about that Adam put it so perfectly. This is a brand new Lions team, brand new territory for these guys. And spare me the eye rolls that this is a lowly Bears team that they beat. Sure, that's true. The Bears fall to three and eight on the loss. But the Lions are the only team this season to win a game after trailing by double digits with so little time remaining. They outscore the Bears 17 to nothing in the final 4-15 regardless of who they played, that is remarkable. The Bears win probability was at 98% when they kicked off to Detroit, up 26 to 14, just north of four minutes to play in the game. You're thinking, you know, play a little bit of defense. We'll run the ball a little bit. When we get it back, we got this thing on ice. The Lions come back 17-0 in four minutes to get a very improbable win. And specifically, I think this is these are wins the Lions need. Not just obviously all wins are good. As Adam pointed out, this is now an eight and two Lions team for the first time since 1962. But if you're a Lions fan, I guess I, I can't speak for a whole fan base, but I wouldn't blame you if there was still an element of the Lions fandom that it look, you've been through some things. You've been through some horrible losses and some bad teams. If there's an element of you that is waiting for the other shoe to drop, I don't blame you, especially in a game where it looks like the Lions forgot to show up. Jared Goff throws three picks. You're getting thoroughly outplayed by a bad team over the first 50, 55 minutes. To find a way to win this game, the Lions need some adversity. They need to win some games in crunch time. They did it last week against the Chargers. Before this week and last week, it had been two months since they had played a game that was really in doubt. Week one and week two, the win against Kansas City, the loss to Seattle, thrilling stuff coming down to the wire. But really, 
ever since then, it's either been dominant wins or blowout losses. They obviously lost by 30 in Baltimore. They won several games by two, three touchdowns. They need to show that they have what it takes when, when crunch time settles in and when games get tight. Last week, they outgunned and outballsied the Chargers with all the fourth down conversions, 1,000 yards of offense, walk-off field goal. This week, it's a miracle rally. And how, imagine the 180 watching this game. Jared Goff looks, looks like the old Jared Goff that was a butt of so many jokes with the Rams and even when he got traded to the Lions. During that rally, 10 of 12 for 105 and a touchdown in the last two drives of this game, setting up David Montgomery for the go-ahead against his old team. Aiden Hutchinson in the pass rush get the final get the final points on the board to to put this out of a field goal range. It's it's remarkable. And and like I said, I think it's important for a team like this to learn how to be in moments like this. And just as importantly, like I said, all wins are good wins. The Lions keep pace with the Philadelphia Eagles near the top of the NFC. We don't know what happens yet. We'll see what plays out at Arrowhead Stadium. But depending on the result of Chiefs-Eagles on Monday night, the Lions could be tied with Philly for the best record in the NFC by Tuesday morning. And even if not, they are right there in the thick of it. It's not a stretch to think that the Lions could earn the bye in the NFC, the very least continuing to put some distance between themselves and the rest of their division. It's easy to to beat teams 20 to 6 to win 20 42 to 24. We've seen those types of performances, but to find a way back in the most improbable of circumstances. Remember, nobody else has done this all year. I think it's the type of thing that pays dividends when it gets to playoff time and it does not matter who it comes against. Now, on the flip side, am I crazy? And granted, I am not emotionally invested in the Chicago Bears. So Bears fans, I'm sorry. But am I crazy if this feels like a pretty damn good scenario for the Bears? This is what? One of the two entertaining games we've seen the Bears play all year. I'll throw the the Thursday night win against Washington up there. Don't Please don't tell me the win against Carolina was entertaining. It was not. This is as good as Justin Fields it's as good as you could possibly ask him to play 273 total yards runs for a hundred, no turnovers, an absolute dime of a touchdown pass to DJ Moore, stepping up in the pocket, slotting the ball right in between coverage, right between the safety and the cornerback, a thing of beauty. It is the type of performance we were hoping to see. That's why we hyped this game up specifically saying this is the beginning of Justin Fields trying to prove his worth as a franchise quarterback. Now it's one out of seven games. You got to keep doing it, but it's about as good as you could ask other than not finishing the job. And look, if you're a Bears fan that's tired of losing, I get it. That starts to weigh on you regardless, but losses are still a pretty good thing when you're as far away as the Bears appear to be. With the loss, they keep their own draft pick inside the top five. Panthers lose to Dallas and Charlotte on Sunday as well. They stay in the number one spot. Possibility of picking twice in the top five is certainly, maybe it's not a cure-all, but it makes you feel a heck of a lot better about blowing this lead. Like I said, at the end of the day, the point is to win, but to have Justin Fields play like this and to still preserve your draft stock, that's my silver lining if I'm a Bears fan and I feel pretty good about it. But the day goes to the Lions who 
good teams have moments like this that prove there's a little something extra to them. I thought it qualified last week with the way they beat the Chargers. They doubled down on it this week with what I think is the most entertaining win in the entire league for Week 11. Big division win for the Lions to come back over the Bears, but they were far from the only team to play a division game in Week 11. That's item number two on our Sunday 6. All told, there were seven division matchups in the NFL this week. It's a lot for context. There were just seven division matchups in the last three weeks before this combined. So schedule makers making some hay this week with how many rivalries we saw renewed. Already covered a couple of these. Obviously, we just talked Bears-Lions and the Ravens played the Bengals, got the win in Baltimore on Thursday night. But five more big division matchups to get to as we move closer to sorting out sorting out the playoff field. Let's just kind of do a speed run through these division games and get you caught up. Starting off, the Cleveland Browns edging the Pittsburgh Steelers by a score of 13 to 10. The quick and easy joke is that even after a big division win, the Browns rushed and signed 38-year-old Joe Flacco to their practice squad. That is exactly what they did. I'm guessing the smart money says Joe Flacco winds up starting games in Cleveland very soon. But let's not write off Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the rookie making his second career start, gets a win over the Steelers. Was it pretty? No. He completed less than four yards per attempt in the game. The Browns punted eight times. Took him every bit of 60 minutes to score 13 points. But as we said during the build-up to this game, the Browns' defense is the type that can keep you hanging around long enough to give you a chance. And DTR was given a chance at the end of this game. With that opportunity, he goes 4 of 4 for 39 yards, and he puts Dustin Hopkins into position to kick the game winner. The Browns are firmly in control of second place in the AFC North, just behind the Ravens. They've got a 90% chance of making the playoffs. I mentioned that in the preview show. New York Times saying 90% chance of getting there if they pull it off and get there. And this is the Cleveland Browns we're talking about. Definitely not a given for this organization, especially losing their franchise quarterback. They will owe at least part of the story to Dorian Thompson-Robinson getting his second start doing much better with it this time around, getting a key division win against the Steelers. Walk-off field goal, or close to it anyway. Down in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars got back on track. They downed the Tennessee Titans 34-14. to They did do their part to hold on to first place in the AFC South, and thanks to Houston's narrow win against the Arizona Cardinals, we now have the Sage set for a first-place game in the division. The Jags and the Texans play over Thanksgiving weekend. The winner will be in first place. Texans are a game behind, but they would have the tiebreaker in that situation while a Jags win puts them clearly into first place. I'll say it one more time. We're not going to overreact to the Jags getting a win. They just lost by 30 to San Francisco, even if this does put them up at 7-3. and three. But if we are looking for a positive development, Welcome back to the offense, Calvin Ridley. It's so nice to see you again. Ridley hadn't scored a touchdown since week four. He hadn't gone over 100 yards since week five. Here in week 11, he does both. Seven catches, 103 yards, two touchdowns. Clearly, this this Jacksonville offense just needs a math changer. They need a guy that defenses have to account for, a guy who can make plays, get production all the same. I... Refuse to believe it's a coincidence that Trevor Lawrence had the game he had, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, with Ridley opening things up for everybody else. They need this to be a trend. We'll see if they can do it next week against a much better opponent 
with the division lead on the line. That's a lot of fun. Over in the NFC East, Tommy DeVito and the New York Giants beat Washington 31 to 19. Before we go any further, I, I do have some things that I would like to say, particularly about where things stand with the Washington Commanders. But for a team that has seen as much bad as the Giants have, I have to believe that this win felt really good for New York. Joined now by the guys who called the game, that would be our friends Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma. And guys, just to put it simply, this seems like a win that the New York Giants really needed and really would have liked to have had. Thanks, Dave. Jonathan, the New York Giants were in desperate need of a victory, only 2-8 and eight on the season, and they took the ball away from the Washington Commanders six times. It's the way that they won today. It was by defense. You have a backup quarterback, and it was everyone around him supporting him. The run game in the second half, they supported him. The defense, the special teams, everything about the game was complimentary. Brian Dable said, once we get back to complimentary football, we will be a good team. And it showed itself today. You went against a commander's team, a division rival. They're a good offense, a good outfit, yet Giants performed well. Your impressions of rookie quarterback Tommy DeVito, who was sacked nine times, five times in the first quarter, but threw for nearly 250 yards and three touchdowns. You know, I love his mental toughness. When you get sacked that many times, usually a quarterback starts to speed up the clock in his head. He starts seeing ghosts, starts seeing linemen coming. That never happened. Tommy DeVito stood tall. He stood strong in the pocket. He made big throws when he had to. More importantly, he did not turn the football over. That's the biggest thing that tells me this is a mentally tough quarterback, and he's going to be good for this Giants offense. Giants third win of the season, two have come against the Commanders. Dave, back to you. Kenny didn't misspeak. The Washington Commanders turned the ball over six times on the day. Don't really need to say anything else. I'm going to, don't worry. But it's the most by a team in a game this season. You just don't win doing that. Sam Howell throws three picks. The Commanders fumble three times. Of course they lost. But the funny thing to me is, that's honestly not what I'm fixated on. Sam Howell... He's thrown for a ton of yards. He's been hit a ton of times. You're, you're living and dying with a young guy developing on the fly. You expect things like that. For every great high that Sam Howell's had, there's been a pretty low low. But honestly, what's worse than that for the commanders is that they allowed Tommy DeVito to slice them up like cold cuts on an Italian sandwich. He had the third best passer rating in the NFL for week 11. 137. Brock Purdy was perfect in the win against Tampa Bay for San Francisco. We'll get to that. Tommy DeVito, who had a negative passing total in one game, who got bulldozed by the Cowboys last week, who, again, what Kenny said, like Mr. Rooney said way back in the day, he got sacked nine times. Shout out Ferris Bueller. A passer rating of 137. I just I don't I don't know I don't know how that happens even for a defense that's traded Montez Sweat and Chase Young in the last few weeks. You're good enough to hit the guy 11 times on the day and sack him 9 times. How do you get diced up like this by an undrafted rookie quarterback? And I know some of it is is contributed by the turnovers. Giants get 10 points off of Sam Howell's interception including a pick 6 that makes the final score look a lot worse than it was. But man, that that feels pretty inexcusable to me. The word coming out of the post game at FedEx Field is that the the hot water was broken in the locker room. So I just I think it's an apt metaphor. Helps you explain how the Commanders can't get this stink off of them. They can't take a hot shower. I can't help but think about Ron Rivera, coaching for his job, new ownership group in D.C. 
He's now three games below 500. The playoffs feel very, very far away with Philadelphia and Dallas controlling that division. And yeah, you're going to lose to Buffalo. You're going to lose to the Philadelphia Eagles. You're going to lose to Seattle at the gun. That's all understandable. That's all what you expect from a young team. But the commanders have now been swept by the New York Giants, and they gave up 40 points to a Bears team that at the time was completely lost. These are the types of losses that you look back on when your fate gets sealed at the end of the season. And it's not my job to fire Ron Rivera right now, but this is the stuff that you remember when those types of decisions get made, and it's not looking great for a commander's team. You even win one or two of those games, you're feeling a heck of a lot better about yourself than you are at four and seven, not being able to take a shower. Over in the NFC West, the LA Rams outlast the Seattle Seahawks 17 to 16 out here at SoFi Stadium. And I've heard of miscommunication before, but this is ridiculous. That's what I've been led to believe by Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks, who bungle, in my opinion, a chance at a last-second field goal to go ahead. Let's walk you through it. I'll get to the miscommunication part. 40 seconds to play. Geno Smith driving to put the Rams ahead, trailing 17-16. Does what he does. He hits a beautiful 21-yard throw to DK Metcalf. Metcalf with an amazing day. They get just to the edge of Justin Myers' field goal range. Rather than spike the ball... They opt to run straight ahead with no timeouts. Zach Charbonnet, they take the clock from 23 seconds down to about seven. Jason Myers misses from 55 yards. Very curious decision, and you come to find out afterward. Geno Smith says, for the only time on the day, the headset communication in his helmet went out in that sequence. He audibles to a run play to Zach Charbonnet because the personnel looked favorable, looked like they might be able to steal some yards. I suppose I'll be fair and say it's the type of thing where had it worked, had the Rams been playing the pass and the middle of the field opened up for Zach Charbonnet and you get eight, nine yards and spike the ball, you look like a genius. But in this situation, it's awfully quizzical. It's awfully troubling to see that sort of play call. And I get it. If the headset goes out, especially in a very, very new, very, very expensive stadium, that's awfully interesting. I still think I'd spike the ball. If I were Geno Smith, you spike it with 23 seconds to play. Even if your headset's not working, you have a chance to convene with your offensive coordinator, your head coach. And if you stick to the sideline, because the Seahawks did have no timeouts, if you stick to the sideline, you can at least try to get three, four, five, six yards closer to a makeable field goal for Jason Myers. Seahawks kicker had made from 52 and 54 on the day. So 55 is right in his range. But you would have liked to see it obviously get at least three, four, five yards closer. Apparently, it doesn't happen because the headset goes out. Like I said, you can second-guess play calls in the heat of the moment all day, every day. And I can imagine a world where that does work. Defense is not expecting it with no timeouts, and it works out. In this case, it doesn't. I think in a frantic situation like that, I would have liked to have a chance to catch my breath. That wasn't the call for the Seahawks. They go down, they fall to six and four, and it's the classic Sunday, Thursday turnaround. No time to dwell on missed opportunities. They welcome the San Francisco 49ers to Seattle on Thanksgiving night. So a a chance to avoid a huge losing streak here. If the, if the Seahawks want to stay alive in the NFC West race, they cannot afford that division losing streak, but it's got to feel like a missed opportunity there inside the final minute against the Rams. Moving right along to the third item on our Sunday six, and that is the San Francisco 49ers turning the clock back to September 
What losing streak? They look just like they did in the early part of the season, welcoming the Tampa Bay Buccaneers into Levi's Stadium, coming out with a convincing 27-14 win, not even really breaking a sweat. I'm joined now by the guys who called it, Joe Davis, Daryl Johnston. Guys, Niners have won a ton of games over the last four or five years, so I was, I was a little shocked to hear this fantastic note at the end of your broadcast, which is that Brock Purdy just posted the first perfect passer rating for the 49ers since the days of Steve Young and Joe Montana. What did you see from Brock Purdy's performance from Tampa today? Yeah, so steady, huh? You got to go back to 89 to find the last perfect quarterback rating. Yeah, I, I think he's just continuing to do everything he's done since he's had this opportunity. He's grown in the system. Uh, we talked about it during the game. I think he really is the perfect fit. Kyle Shanahan has been searching for that guy for a long time, and they find him at 262, Mr. Irrelevant, and he's just come out and he's played outstanding. Um, there's a couple of things during the course of the game when he's throwing the football and the timing and everything he uses in the middle of the field. He's very smart. But then all of a sudden, he'll make some plays with his feet, and he does some things, and it just rallies the whole offense. So there's there's performance ability, skill set, leadership qualities. And then when you get to meet him, he doesn't disappoint. He's exactly who you hoped he would be. Y'all touched on this as well. I mean, clearly, the Niners were in control for, for basically this entire game, but maybe not their prettiest performance of the season. Do you find in a situation like this it can be helpful that Kyle Shanahan will have these notes to give to the team on, on ways they can clean it up moving forward? Yeah, I'm sure they'd prefer the perfect game, but we talked about it. They've kind of been looking for that game where they have to grit through it, and yeah. you know that a, a coach is going to enjoy being able to pick at things like that yeah we talked to him going into Jacksonville right the only one he thinks so far is the Dallas game he yep. thought the Dallas game kind of eased his concerns that he had from Pittsburgh all the way up until that right. Dallas game and after that they hit that little bump in the road and and I think he felt confident because he knew how close they were but he also understands they're not there yet and that was one of the things he wanted to impress upon his guys this this week was we've got to find that way to play desperate like we did last week against Jacksonville as we're moving forward down this path because there are a number of areas where they need to get a little bit better when you're talking about the Kansas cities and the Philadelphia's if you want to be the Super Bowl champion you're going to have to clean up those little areas and and there was a couple that popped up today that I'm sure Kyle's going to have some notes on as you pointed out Dave we are going to learn look I think we all agree they're a good team but we're going to learn so much here huge stretch for the 49ers coming up over the next three games guys I appreciate it as always thank you that three game stretch I was referring to with Joe and Moose goes at Seattle in a few days at Philly after that home again for the rematch with Seattle big big opportunity for the 49ers for a lot of reasons I mean handle business against the Seahawks you go a long way toward locking up the division beat Philly, you can re-enter the conversation for the NFC one seed, really reestablish yourselves as a NFL favorite Super Bowl contender. Big, big opportunity in front of the 49ers over just, uh, what, 10, 10 or so days, maybe a little bit more. And like we were just talking about, they didn't even flex their muscle that much in this game. It just speaks to how impressive this team can be. They've gained 400 yards of offense and allowed less than 300 yards on defense for two straight weeks. Wouldn't even call it their best performance, but it makes such a difference when all of these guys are healthy and available for Brock Purdy to play with. I, I really don't mean that as a slight. I think in this day and age, everybody either has to be 
an MVP or a bum. I don't know. I, 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 it's not a slight to Brock Purdy to say that if you put him in the right situation with the right picture to look at behind that line, he's going to make the correct decision 99% of the time. And it makes an incredible difference for the 49ers offense. When you have four different weapons that are almost always going to win, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and your quarterback is very, very rarely going to make a mistake. And by the way, even on the rare occasion, he does make a mistake like he did in Jacksonville last week. He's got guys like Ayuk who can just sky over everybody, make freakish plays. Ayuk for the briefest of moments after his 76-yard touchdown in this game had the longest touchdown of the year in the NFL. He was quickly surpassed in Buffalo. We'll get to that. Yeah, it's an advantage. When you, when your quarterback never makes a mistake and the guys around him help him out on the rare occasion that he does, yeah, this is a tough to, group to beat. Niners feel right back where they were before the losing streak, and this stretch offers them the chance to prove it. They can take control of everything they want, and their expectations are, are lofty. They should be lofty. I think they're going to measure up to that. Like I said, losing streak, what losing streak? My funniest takeaway on the other side of this thing is how much does that loss really affect anything for the Tampa Bay Bucks? Four and six, they're a game out of first place in the NFC South. It's a division with no teams over 500. And the most fun thing for me, I looked this up after the game, everyone in the NFC South, more than halfway through the season, has only played two division games. They backloaded the hell out of that thing. There's eight more matchups to play in the NFC South. Everybody's going to play everybody. In a lot of instances, some teams haven't even played each other once so far. Everything to play for in the league's worst division. And as much as we might make fun of them, we know somebody gets to play a home playoff game. It still could be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The 49ers weren't the only team that rolled to an easy win against an NFC South opponent. Dallas Cowboys managed to do so as well. They rolled right past the Carolina Panthers by a score of 33 to 10. Leave it to the Cowboys, though. They're going to find a way to make the headlines. It's not just about what happened during the game. Some big news in Cowboy land coming before the game. We will get to that as I am joined now by the guys who called it, Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhart. Guys, I feel like you've gotten pretty used to watching Cowboy beatdowns over the last month or so. Look, these are, these are games they're supposed to win. I don't know how newsworthy that is, but... At the very least, doesn't it say something about the Cowboys that when they are heavy favorites, they manage to win these games with as little drama as possible? I think it's winning in different ways, right? I mean, they, you know, you, you chronicled they come on, they're playing a team that plays a much different defense. They're playing on the road where sometimes they haven't played great. They've had a couple of uh, games on the road that haven't been so good. So it's annihilating a team at home, but maybe finding different ways. Because let's face it, against these tougher teams down the road in the playoffs, they're going to have to be creative. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's exactly the case. I think to be able to win games that look different, feel different on the road, at home, low scoring, shootouts, that's the sign of really good teams. The idea in the NFL is over the course of the season, can you find a way that you have multiple paths to victory? You don't have to just play one formula and all of a sudden that day it doesn't play out that way and you can't find another way to win. Dallas Cowboys, they're finding multiple pathways to victory and come the end of the year in the playoffs especially, that's ideal. Yeah. Cowboys will have bigger tests ahead of them. I'm curious about something that happened before the game, though. How cool was it to be there to see uh, our, our good friend and colleague Jimmy Johnson get inducted into the Cowboys' ring of honor? 
It was it was pretty neat. I mean, you know, we uh, we were on the field uh, making our rounds, and uh, Jimmy was talking with Jerry Jones, and we we kind of interrupted that conversation to say congrats. And you know what, Greg, that was cool to be a part of that conversation. It was. We we fanboyed a little. We bit. did. We, 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 we did. ended up asking to take a picture, so we'll we'll be honest. We uh, we we capitalized on the moment, but. You know, something that didn't feel like if it was a matter of if, but when, and it's nice after a lot of speculation and, and whatnot for that to finally become a reality and yeah. for it to happen right here in our booth, right before our game, pretty cool moment for Where the magic happens, baby. <laughs> That's right. Cool moment for Jimmy. Big win for Dallas. Guys, thanks as always. Before I get to anything else the current Cowboys did, yes, let's leave it there where Greg and KB left off. This is, this is a fun moment for the Cowboys, for Jimmy Johnson, for Cowboy fans. Longtime cowboy legend going into the ring of honor. It's news that depending on how closely that you follow this team, been waiting for it for quite some time. We don't have to put an exact date on it, but it's news people have been expecting for a long, long time. And I deeply appreciate Jerry Jones thinking ahead, choosing that December 30th game against Detroit to put him in the ring of honor because it is a game that none other than Troy Aikman will be calling. You remember Troy Aikman's incredibly emotional reaction to Jimmy Johnson getting named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame a few years ago. This one is going to be just as special, I promise you, at AT&T Stadium. It's a, a long-awaited development. Like I said, Jimmy Johnson, one of 14 coaches in NFL history with multiple Super Bowl wins. He is now the 24th member of the Cowboys Ring of Honor. And here's my favorite stat. Johnson becomes the seventh member of those 90s Cowboys teams that's joining the ring. So roughly a third of the Cowboys ring of honor will be comprised of guys that won those three Super Bowls in that short stretch, dominated half of the 90s, the team of the 90s, all that good stuff. It is long overdue that Jimmy Johnson joined the likes of Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, Charles Haley. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. Larry Allen, just some dominant, dominant, iconic teams, long overdue, but better late than never. Jimmy Johnson will have his name in the Cowboys ring of honor. As for the Cowboys themselves, they just keep churning out results against overmatched opponents. The Cowboys going back to last week against the New York Giants and now the Carolina Panthers, they were favored by a combined 27 and a half points in these last two games. That's huge in the NFL. They've won these two games by a combined 55 points. So even knowing that they were supposed to romp two easy victories, they handled it with ease. I saw somebody on Twitter saying the Panthers kept it close until later in the game. I don't think I buy that. Panthers were down 17 to three. They did churn up half of the third quarter with a long touchdown drive. Maybe not the Cowboys most inspiring defensive possession, a, a roughing the kicker or running into the kicker penalty on defensive end. Sam Williams kept that drive alive. The Panthers on the scoreboard, it said 17 to 10, but the Cowboys go back and put the game away easily. This game never remotely felt stressful the whole way through for my money. And a big part of that, let's put the defense in the headlines where it belongs. Dak Prescott continuing to play very, very well. Not uh, an eye-popping day, but he is up to 19 touchdowns and just six picks more than halfway through the season. Tony Pollard finally shut up the fantasy football nerds. He gets into the end zone for the first time since the season opener. But if there's one headline from the way the Cowboys played, it's got to be Deron Bland. 
Another pick six, this one of Bryce Young, to put the competitive portion of this game away. Ties an NFL record. His fourth pick six this season. Only three other guys in league history have done that in a year. Deron Bland has seven games left to do it. Normally, I would say there's no chance, but the rate that this guy is getting pick sixes, I don't know, man. I said a month ago he might mess around and become a pro bowler in his first year as a starter. Maybe I was underselling it. He's the second highest graded corner in the league heading into this game per pro football focus. His six interceptions leads all corners, all defensive backs, however you want to put it. He's at the top of that. He's got at least a shot at an all pro nomination, first or second team. And I think right now, not saying he should win it or even be the front runner, but right now, if you're talking about NFL defensive player of the year, I think he at least deserves a mention. Sure. Ultimately, I don't think he can keep up with the likes of Miles Garrett and Max Crosby, both of whom had very, very nice days on Sunday. But you got to throw him on the short list at the very least. I think he might be the only non-pass rusher that has a chance of winning it right now. Cowboys sacked Bryce Young five times. Speaking of Defensive Player of the Year candidates, I have a feeling Micah Parsons wasn't super thrilled about getting kept off the stat sheet against the Giants. He gets two and a half sacks to get to double digits this season. And most of those looked like stunts in games. It looked like Dan Quinn was drawing up ways to get Micah a path to the quarterback. You know, you, you got to keep these guys happy when you have as many stars as the Cowboys do. Never hurts. Parsons' career high for sacks is 13 and a half. He's at 10 now with seven games to play. He's got a great shot to set a new career high. End of the day, this was all supposed to happen. I said after the loss to the Eagles, all the Cowboys can really do here is hold serve. Three games against three overmatched opponents, Giants, then the Panthers, then the Commanders on Thanksgiving. I haven't had a chance to look at the spread for the Thanksgiving game against the Commanders, but with Washington having just lost to the Giants, I have a feeling the Cowboys should be favored to win another one at home. They've beaten two out of three. Finish holding serve. Get that record up to eight and three. Then you've got Seattle at the end of the month, and then you welcome Philly back to AT&T Stadium. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the point is all that was going to happen here is Dallas needed to hold serve. Dallas needed to keep up with the best teams in the NFC record-wise. If they can keep this up, they're going to have a shot at the division, at all of those goals. Plenty more still needs to happen, but the Cowboys are doing their part to stay in the conversation. They did it emphatically again not a win that anybody's going to remember in super great detail, but a big win all the same for the Cowboys and for Jimmy Johnson. Congrats again to him. Item number five on our Sunday six is our weekly coaching spotlight. Every week we bring to you a moment, a performance, a decision that highlights a coaching performance that made a difference. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach communication. And look, I cannot say I envy the position that Joe Brady was in this weekend. Formerly fired by the Carolina Panthers a couple years ago, Joe Brady was in his second season as the Buffalo Bills quarterback's coach, at least He was up until Tuesday when Ken Dorsey was unceremoniously fired after that baffling Monday night loss to the Buffalo Bills. Still don't think Ken Dorsey is the reason the Bills had 12 men on the field, but that's beside the point. It doesn't affect the situation Joe Brady found himself in. Not quite a Josh Dobbs situation, clearly. Brady's been with the Bills for a season and a half now. He knows the offense. He knows the personnel. He knows his players' names, 
He still gets to dial up plays for Josh Allen, but still, this Bills offense has been taking a lot of heat for underperforming. Joe Brady, the quarterback coach, elevated to the offensive coordinator position. He's been tapped to fix it. He had five days to put together a game plan against the New York Jets team that has baffled a lot of quarterbacks. Not a win that's going to light the world on fire. The Bills beat the Jets 32-6, to but don't underestimate what we saw from Josh Allen in Week 11. Like I just said, this is a Jets defense that has embarrassed a lot of good quarterbacks, including Josh Allen in the season opener, as well as plenty of other times in his career. Against the Jets on Sunday in Buffalo, Allen finished with his highest touchdown total since the season opener, which the Bills lost. His highest passer rating, his highest yards per attempt. So for a guy with a cannon arm, I'd say that matters. Highest passer rating, highest yards per attempt since week five. Bills targeted the middle of the field in a way we haven't seen in a while. Highlight of the day, as I alluded to, Josh Allen splits the coverage, finds Khalil Shakir with a a laser of a pass. Plenty of run after the catch, don't get me wrong. 81-yard touchdown. It's the longest in the NFL this season. They schemed open running backs for easy touchdowns, not once, but twice. One of those coming on a key fourth down. That's Joe Brady. Maybe he doesn't make the call to go for it. He sure as hell makes the call to draw it up for his running back to be right out there in the flat with nobody around him. It was the first time the Bills have scored 30 points since October 1st. And yeah, I get it. It helps going against a toothless Jets offense, an offense that gave you the ball plenty of times. But Joe Brady! Not bad for your first game on five days' notice. 32 points, getting back on track, getting over 500, reestablishing yourself, kind of just get your feet underneath you. Joe Brady and the Buffalo Bills, I thought it was a heck of an impressive performance. Let's wrap things up with the last item on the Sunday 6th. It's a bit of a down note. Some key, key injuries in Week 11 that are worth watching. I get it. Injuries happen in football every game, but... It feels important to check in on the situation for a lot of reasons. First of all, there have been a lot. Going back to Thursday night football, Bengals lost Joe Burrow for the year. The Ravens lost Mark Andrews. So right off the bat, it's a brutal week for injuries, beginning on Thursday, going all the way through until Sunday. And it's the Thanksgiving holiday. There's three games on Thanksgiving. There's a game on Black Friday. We've got eight teams playing on a short week. So feels pertinent to check in with a lot of situations that are going to have a quick turnaround time. Let's start with those teams that are playing on a short week. Firstly, Seattle. We talked about the Seahawks last second loss to the Rams. They played most of that game without running back Kenneth Walker. He left with an oblique injury. Sounds like Pete Carroll used the word legit strain. Never going to rule a football player out prematurely. I know better than that, but games Thursday night, it's going to be a race against the clock in a situation like that. Geno Smith exited the game with an elbow injury. Not sure what to make of that. He comes, he came back. He he led the Seahawks into position to kick a potential game winning field goal. You'd like to think that means he's available for Thursday, but you know how these situations change when the adrenaline of the moment is over. So that's two big players to keep an eye on for Seattle. In the same game, rough news for the 49ers, probably the the biggest down note coming out of the win against Tampa Bay. Kyle Shanahan says all pro safety Talanoa Hufunga, quote, most likely tore his ACL. Sunday was about as healthy as the 49ers have been since the start of the season. 
seems like that that is a harbinger for an injury more often than not. It's a big, big loss in a secondary that I think you would already call the weak spot of the 49ers roster. That is a tough, tough blow for Hufunga and the 49ers secondary. Green Bay Packers also play on Thanksgiving. They're going to Detroit to play the Lions. Running back Aaron Jones looked about as bad as possible. He left the Packers win against the Charger in Chargers in tears after injuring his knee. Always easy to assume the worst when you see that. Fortunately, Packers coach Matt LaFleur said afterward, it's not feared to be a long-term situation, but I'll say it again. Going to Detroit on Thursday at noon is not long-term. That's a very, very short-term situation. Is three days enough time for Aaron Jones to be ready? That's something to keep an eye on. Miami Dolphins, they got a win against the Las Vegas Raiders 20-13 to on Sunday. They travel to face the New York Jets on Black Friday. Got, you know, we're 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 gonna play NFL games seven days a week one of these days. Sounds like it's good news for running back Devon Achan. The rookie running back played just one snap in the win against Vegas. He he hurt his knee. Sounds like it was mainly precautionary by head coach Mike McDaniel. Not sure what that means for Friday, but they did say he was he was champing at the bit to get back in the game. So we'll see what that looks like for Friday. Not as optimistic for the Jets. Offensive tackle Makai Becton was carted off of the game in Buffalo with an ankle injury. Safety Tony Adams looked like his looked like that was his pinky sticking through the glove. Don't don't Google it if you heard about his finger injury. Don't look it up. But football players are crazy people. Tony Adams returned and played in that game, so we'll see what that means for Friday. The Jets' offensive line has been one of the most banged up units in all of football, and it sounds like it could get a decent bit worse. I mentioned the Packers a minute ago on the Chargers side of that game. The Packers beat LA 23-20 at Lambeau. Longtime Chargers edge rusher Joey Bosa exited that game early with what they're calling a foot injury. No official word about the severity, but he did need a cart to get off the field. He did finish the day on crutches. Not what you would call a good sign for a reeling Chargers team One more of note, Cooper Cup with an ankle injury. You saw him on the sideline. You saw him getting looked at in that win against the Seahawks. No word yet from Sean McVay what that means, but he wasn't able to finish the game. At the very least, at least the Rams have a full week to get ready for their next game. That comes against the Arizona Cardinals in Phoenix next week. One last thing before we get out of here, as always, another episode of Ask Glazer with none other than NFL on Fox insider Jay Glazer. Really excited for this one. We talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about Aaron Rodgers' potential return from injury. We talked about the coaching hot seat in Carolina, the Giants draft preparations. Most fun for me, we got to talk to Jay about his longtime friend and colleague, Jimmy Johnson, going into the Cowboys ring of honor. Check it out. Back again for another edition of Ask Glazer with Jay Glazer. Let's start with a very obvious one today. Uh, how cool is it to see your friend and colleague, Jimmy Johnson, get honored like that at the guy. week 11? I mean, that's so cool, man. One of the for coolest him. moments of the season. Absolutely. You know, for, and you know what? It was cool for me because I, I got to go with Jimmy to the Cowboy Charger game a few weeks ago, myself and him and, and Bill Richards. And, you know, he made his way down and all of a sudden him and Jerry kind of had their own private moment right there. And you're just hoping, okay, this is, this is it hopefully. And man, to see it actually come to fruition and happen. And it's really cool when in life, I think when things happen for you, 
but it's amazing when things happen for people you love right. and your teammates, you know, and, and, you know, Jimmy, somebody obviously, man, I look up to so much. So for him to get that honor, it was, it, it was, it was, man, it's just so cool, dude. It's so cool. And it's so cool. And yeah, do the hall of, listen, when they surprised us with the hall of fame a few years ago, right. That's the, I think that's the best moment we've ever had in the history of, of Fox sports. I think that was the best moment we ever had. So, and you, I mean, you kind of alluded to it. You guys have been together for so long. Yeah. I think, Michael Strahan said it on the show. Just this is this is something that he's wanted for a long yeah. time. And after kind of the road that it's been on for a little yeah. while now, I mean that the yeah. payoff has to be incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And then look, it's well deserved. You know, look what Jimmy's absolutely. done. He's pro football hall of fame. He should be in the Cowboys ring out. Absolutely. And you know, I I just love to see those two guys get back together. Also, because life is too short. You know, December thirtieth, twenty twenty three. I will be I'll be tuning into that one for sure. Bummer of a topic. You touched on it on the show on Sunday morning. Sunita wants just to know further word on Joe Burrow. Obviously, yeah. he's done for the year. Well, the reason why he's done for the year, he actually tore. There's a middle ligament, and Bradshaw tried to get me on the air to say, to say, say what, what it was, was, and I can't pronounce it, which is why I didn't say it. And usually, I'm pretty good with these things. This one I couldn't pronounce. Um, but it's a middle ligament, which is actually the most stabilizing ligament in your wrist. So if you tear that, it's it. It's done. So I know he's just going back and forth and figuring out who's going to do the surgery, but it's season-ending surgery. It, but, but when I talk to Zach Taylor, they, they're back up there. I, I know, look, he's throwing like one pass, but the, the team loves him. And usually the back, a lot of times backup quarterbacks, one of the favorite guys in that locker room. And yeah. they, they didn't look Jake at it Browning. like... He didn't play you know, poorly. No, no. Day. It didn't look at it like, like, hey, okay, we're done. We're, we're packing up and we're, we're, we're looking at uh, you know, a low draft pick. They looked at it like, oh, we're still in this thing. This is unfortunately the second time. Um, obviously, it was a leg injury as a rookie yeah, for Joe. Does he? I mean, is there any word on how, like the recovery timeline for this? It just, I think where we are in the season, it's just season ending. So yeah, I, yeah. for sure, he'll be fine for next year. Tic Tac Magic wants to know. You talked a little bit about the Panthers coaching staff just yeah. trying to get more out of Bryce Young. What, what's the situation there? How? How, what's, what's the tension in Carolina and where do you yeah. see that going? That owner wants to win now, even though that, look, when you get the first pick of the draft, you're, you're, you know, and where they were also, uh, obviously I know they traded up for it, but you know, they've struggled. And, you know, I think, look, a lot of times when you hire a head coach, you go the opposite of the coach you just got rid of. And Frank Reich is the opposite of Matt Rule, right? Right. Just personality wise. Right. And you see it a lot of times if you have a coach that's like, man, he's just such a hard ass. You usually go with Bambi. And then right. if you go with Bambi and then you end up firing Bambi, you go with a hard ass. So that's what happened here. But I think, you know, in the situation with Frank Reich, um, you know, they're, I think the owner is just getting a little impatient. I'm not, you know, when I said it today, I'm not saying he's getting fired now, but the seat's definitely hot. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he, it came down from above. They were like, hey, why don't you give a play calling duties so you could manage the whole team? And then when he realized, I think his seat is getting hot, he said, well, let me take it back because I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down swinging my way with the way I want to run this offense and see if I can do it my way. But it's definitely getting hot. Gotta He's get, got the hottest seat in the, in, in the league. Got to get more results. And Frank is a offense. good dude. He is yeah. loved inside this league. Loved by um, a lot of quarterbacks. Yeah, re, yeah, really, really is. But but I think Carolina, it's, you know, they, they've got um, – they got a long way to go and they kind of got put in, you know, in Matt Rule, they went backwards. So they got a, they, they've got a lot to make up for. Something to watch there over the last month or so of the season. Jimmy wants to know, obviously, Giants just signed Daniel Jones in yep. the offseason, but they are playing their way toward a top pick. Yep. I mean, 
I, I assume this isn't a question with a definitive answer right now, but if, if you're weighing their options there, do you think it's possible that they consider a quarterback if they have a top? If you can get one of those top two guys, absolutely. And here's the thing, Daniel Jones' contract, you could actually get out of it after next year. So unlike, you know, I talked about Deshaun Watson's contract on the show. Ironclad, they're yeah. stuck for, you know, through 2026. Even 2027 with Deshaun, they have like another $9 million in dead money because um, of, of some restructuring. But Daniel Jones, they could actually get out of their contract after next year if they want to. But if you can have one of those two guys and you can get them, absolutely. Be a fascinating situation if Daniel yeah. Jones is. They're going to need a quarterback no matter what a because forty million dollar. He's not going to be ready for training camp next right, year. Is right. what you don't you don't think so at least as far far along as he's torn his ACL with some of. The, I mean Drake May, Caleb Williams specifically. I mean right. I don't know how many teams would be willing to pass on those two guys. Last one. It's another thing you talked touched on. The reports, so many reports with the Jets. Aaron Rodgers. We keep hearing about this tentative return date. We reports on Sunday morning that the Jets are interested in Devontae Adams when the season is over. Just in where, where do things stand with the Jets? How realistic is all this Aaron Rodgers okay. talk in the first? So week? I can only tell you what I know. He's told the Jets. So this week he sent like people inside the organization, like a him a video of him training, working out. Where mm -hmm. they're like, "Oh my God!" Like this dude, we can't believe he's doing this right now, <laughs> right? And you know, but the other thing is Aaron Rodgers has to get back to a position. He has to protect himself. So there's still still certain markers he has to he has to you know get cleared for. But in his mind, he wants to start practicing December second. Uh, whether he gets cleared by them, that's a different story. Uh, and then play in December if they're in it. Now, if they lose the next two games, they're pretty much out of playoff contention. Doesn't make any sense for him to come back. And he's also not going to be the Aaron that we know that could scramble around so much right after that. He just wants to be an Aaron that can keep himself out of trouble. And he, he's looking at, you know, pushing himself. I think Aaron also kind of feels like, man, this, this organization, you know, did everything for me. So I'm going to try and do everything for them to get back as soon as I can. But listen, I've said this a lot about Aaron Rodgers. I know what he's done. I don't know what he can't do. So if there's a guy who can do it, it's probably Aaron Rodgers. And when he puts his mind in something, I think he needs those goals. Hey, I'm going to put December 2nd so I can have something to work harder for. I'm going to put that I can get back there for the Washington game, that, you know, I have that in my mind so I can work harder for it. So I think you do have to have those goals to, to really strive for because it pushes you in trip. Because when you're recovering, okay, first of all, recovery is the worst, loneliest thing you could imagine. Sure. Right? The roommates in your head, they do not play along nicely. Everyone kind of forgets about you. It's just, you know, it's next man up. You're away from the rest of your team. It is lonely. It's a hard, lonely place. And for him to be able to, you know, so, so it's harder when, you, when you're in that lonely spot of recovering by yourself. If you don't have goals, it gets even harder. So goals for himself, it, it, gets, it, it gets easier between the ears when you say, okay, this is what I'm striving for. I think you make a really great point. And remember, he said it very shortly after the injury. He was like, give me a timetable. Tell right. me what I can't do, right. and that's going to fuel me. And yep. I, I I completely believe exactly that that's right. the case here. And yeah. as amazing as I think it would be, it would have to be the most amazing injury recovery I've ever seen. Sure. But I'm, I'm not going to write. Aaron Rodgers off. So certainly something to watch here over the last few weeks of the season. We will talk to you about it as we go. Jay Glazer, as hey, always. Happy Turkey Day to you, brother. I appreciate that. I, I know, I know, I know Thanksgiving well. holidays can be hard for a lot of people, man. So even if you're at a place where family's driving you crazy, 
lean into other family, as in your friends. Like, just call them, make sure they're good on Thanksgiving also. Man, it'll just help lift everybody up. That's a really great point. And cool. happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as well. Jay, we will talk to you next week, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the insight. That does it for another Monday show, but never have I been so excited to turn the page forward to Tuesday. Obviously, it's one of the games of the year. We will be back tomorrow with all the reaction. You know it. It's the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Kansas City. They take on the Chiefs on Monday night. We will have that recap. We will have all of that for you. Tomorrow, we'll have news and notes from around the NFL. We'll have our usual power rankings. It's going to be a jam-packed show highlighted by one of the games of the year. I absolutely cannot wait. We will see you all then. In the meantime, as always, please go find us on Spotify. Please go find us on Apple Podcasts. Have you told your mailman about us? Does your mom need fantasy football tips? Does your brother need to know what's going on with the New York Jets and their quarterback situation? I don't know. Regardless, we'll have it for you. Love talking to y'all. Looking forward so much to this Monday Night Football game. We will catch y'all when it's over. Until next time, 